Well, good morning, Forest View. Uh, it's been an incredible week. A few things just wanted to update you on and make sure that you're aware about. First off, last, last weekend, Forest View participated in a uh, food drive that was in partnership with a whole bunch of different faith communities in the Oakville region. And just wanted to give you an update on that. And many of you are probably aware of it. In fact, a whole bunch of you helped make that possible, whether it was helping us prepare bags um, for food to go in, whether it was to go and deliver those bags into our neighborhood, or whether it was going and collecting those filled bags. Uh, together, in partnership with all these other churches and faith communities, we collected over 2,100 bags of food, which is just an amazing thing. All of that's going towards local food banks in a time when they so desperately need it. And so we want to celebrate that and also uh, and say a huge thank you to those within our community who just stepped up huge and, and helped make that happen. Um, the other thing we wanted to bring your attention is just celebrate the amazing time that we had at our drive through Connect event last Sunday. There was just something so special about us being able to actually see each other in person, to hear how you're doing, all while practicing safe physical distancing from one another. Um, and it was just, I can just speak on my, on my behalf. Thank you so much for coming. It just filled my heart and just, I felt charged up afterwards, being able to see you and connect with you and hear how you are doing. So it was just an amazing day. Thanks so much for everyone who came out. Thanks to everyone who brought food to contribute to the food drive. It was just a great experience for all of us. And just an incredible reminder about how this is great, being able to do this online, be able to connect and see one another, uh, but it's still not the same. And we are just hungry and longing for physical in present, being present with one another. And the good news is, is that's on the horizon. We don't know how soon, uh, but we are starting to put in place steps to try and figure out a way that we can be able to do that, which will be safe and make sure that our gatherings together are going to be meaningful. And so we're just excited. Make sure you're subscribed to our, our email so you can get, stay up to date on that. Um, the leadership team, we're going to be gathering every other week to talk through where we're at and reevaluating what it looks like for starting up physical gatherings again. This morning, uh, we want to continue to talk about and, and process and work through uh, the, the, the significant things that are happening in our world and in our culture right now with regards to the racial injustice that we've seen, um, the racial injustice that we're hearing stories about. It was two weeks ago we spoke about this. It was, it was so pressing. And, and yet at the same time, actually three weeks ago, uh, but, but over, um, it's, it's been like three, four weeks, and yet uh, more videos have surfaced, more and more stories about uh, black, indigenous, and people of color who have suffered um, because, uh, suffered. Uh, in, in significant ways because simply because of the color of their skin. And uh, this is a huge issue. And so we want to continue to talk about it. And one of the questions that's been posed to me and posed to Forest View is, is how are we going to respond to this? And so uh, two things I'd encourage you to do. One is go back uh, and listen to the sermon from a few weeks ago if you missed it. Um, and actually even listening to last week, I think that's some really profound Paul's sermon coming out of the book of Philippians about uh, privilege. I just had powerful things to say. And so I really want to encourage you to go and check that out. Um, and then secondly, I, I want to just simply say this. We're going to continue to hash out what does it mean for us to be the church right here and right now? And one of the things that's been incredibly encouraging to me is that people ask, how are we going to respond? One of the things that I'm excited to say is that actually we, we've already, in a sense, we've thought through this theologically, philosophically about what's going to drive us and move us as a community. And so that's going to help shape how we respond to the specific situation, the specific issue that we are facing in our culture 
today. And quite frankly, we've been facing for a long time. And so uh, I want to talk about what does it mean for us to live without laws and, or laws, live without walls, and what it means for us to, to partner with Jesus uh, in, in the ongoing healing and restoration of the world. Uh, one of the words that we like to use to describe what it means to be a follower of Jesus here is that we use the word apprentice. And I love the language of that because part of becoming a Christian is not just simply saying a prayer and inviting Jesus to come in and, and reign in your heart, although that is absolutely true and beautiful. And when that happens, we celebrate it. But it's realizing that it's a journey about walking with Christ, about being transformed. Uh, the way that I love to break it down, one of the ways that I would frame it is simply this, is that to be an apprentice of Jesus, in that we are committed to learning to love what Jesus loves. And if you go through and you were to read through the Bible and specifically going through the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, you see, you discover a God who has a heart for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. One passage that, that comes to mind for me again and again is simply Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Here's a bit of a paraphrase. Uh, the Lord said, he speaks to Moses, and he says that he's seen the suffering of the people in Israel. And here's his response. I have indeed seen the misery of my people who in Egypt. I've heard them crying out, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. I mean, in this, we see a God who hears the cry of those who are suffering, those who are being, uh, being oppressed. And this is a God who liberates people, who sets them free. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus, he, he talks about this, how, how it's integral to what it means to follow him and to know him. Uh, he talks about this. He, he tells this parable about this final judgment that's going to fall on all of creation, but specifically all people who claim to be his followers are going to have to answer for their actions. And this is the interesting thing that Jesus says is what separates you in terms of identifies you as a follower of Jesus. He says this, truly I tell you, Whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He talks about those who are poor, uh, those who are hungry, those who do not have uh, the clothes that they need. They don't have the, 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 the safety that they need in order to be in a situation where they can thrive and survive. Those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are in prison. He says, did you go and visit these people? Did you go and care for these people? Did you open up your home and invite the people who were homeless or didn't have a place to go in? He says, because when you did that to them, you did that to me. And when you rejected them, when you pushed them away, you were in fact rejecting and pushing me away. The God of the Bible is a God who has a heart for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. I, I think this is actually a pretty profound and radical thing. Because so often what we often associate and, and throughout religions throughout history is that God is always on the side of the powerful, the people who are in control, the people who are calling the shots. And we assume this because that's why they're there. God put them there because they somehow did everything right and they have it all figured out. And so often we look at these situations of prestige, privilege, uh, of power as being these blessings given to good people by God. And yet, the Old Testament and Jesus specifically throughout the New Testament challenges. He turns, challenges that idea. He turns it all up on its head and says, no, no, wait, this is a God. This is a God who is present 
to and with and on the side of those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, who are forgotten about, ignored, who are manipulated, who are being used. So as apprentices to Jesus, we're committed to learning to, to love what God loves and to love what Jesus loves, but, but we also want to be committed to learning to love how Jesus loves. And so we want that to shape how we proceed, specifically with this issue, but, but just in general, how we live out as a community. What does it mean to love the way that Jesus loves? So how do we proceed? Well, in our statement of kind of our mission, this is who we are. This is what we want to be about. We want to be a community that includes the disenfranchised. We, we want to be a community that, that brings them in, that they are a part of our life and our fellowship. Uh, they are an important part of who we are. Disenfranchised, the people who are ignored, who are ostracized, the people who are mistreated. And for us, there's kind of three different ways that we see that as being worked out. And so I want to walk through those quickly this morning. The first one is, is caring for our neighborhood, our networks, and the poor. And so we want to be intentional. Where have we been placed as a community? And where have you been placed as individuals? Uh, to be aware of your neighborhood, our neighborhood, the place surrounding us as a church, but, but also uh, the neighborhoods that specifically you find yourself in. Who, who are the people that God has brought into your life and for you to be able to see and know that that is in a sense your mission field who you are called to go and be expressions of god's love and healing and so for us it's about looking for and seeing those people who are hurting and who are suffering wherever they might be because they really truly are everywhere now, now the second thing that is so important to me that i want to make sure that we cover is this and this is where i want to spend most of our time focusing on this morning is this, uh, when we talk about including the disenfranchised, uh, we are talking about living life with the marginalized. Now, the key word I want to focus on this morning is the word with. Because throughout history, we've seen people who see situations that are broken wrong. We see things that just aren't the way they're supposed to be. Often they're people who are in positions of power and who just move in and think that they can fix everything. I've learned this in over my time working in ministry. I've had people who work underneath me, uh, people who report to me, and sometimes I will see something that is not working well, and so sometimes I'll be tempted to go in and try and fix all the problems myself. And one of the things that I've learned is that when I jump in and try and fix things is that often I'm not really making things better. Usually I'm oblivious to what are some of the underlying issues Sometimes all I'm aware of are surface level things going on and any solutions that I bring are just surface level solutions. And so one of the things I've learned is to take a step back and make sure that I'm a part of conversations with people who are right there on the front lines, who are living it, who are a part of it. Or I've learned that I need to make sure that as I go and I want to help be a solution in the midst of a problem is to enter into that and do a better job making sure, being more patient to make sure that I really understand what's going on so that I can really help find a solution that is meaningful and lasting. Because sometimes I can just make things worse. And I think that's true for all of us when we look at the way that sin has corrupted and gotten into all sorts of different aspects of life. And we just think that we could just come in, whether it's in a foreign country or a different situation, maybe it's a family situation, and we aren't really connected with it, but somehow we think we can come in and solve everything and make it all better. And the truth is, 
is that maybe what we need to do is to start with a place of listening and learning and talking with. Because maybe the solution that we think is best isn't actually the right solution. We want to have spirits that are discerning and wise. And that is so important to what it means to include the disenfranchised. There's a passage at the base of the start of the Gospel of John. And John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has not been made. So there's this dense theological idea of talking about word. Now, the word that we use there for word is the word logos in Greek. Now, the interesting thing about this word is this is a deep philosophical word. It's used in the Greek circles. It was used in the Jewish circles. And essentially, there was a bunch of different ways that were understood about it, uh, that it was understood and interpreted. But, but essentially, it kind of had this idea of being like the, well, actually, one philosopher in, in the Greek world, he talks about being like the pilot or the captain of all of reality. Uh, and then some other thoughts, they kind of look at it as being like, it's almost like the, 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 uh, the logic that holds the universe together. In Jewish thought, sometimes they talk about the logos as being the uh, divine wisdom or, or the creative speaking of God to, that holds everything together and makes it all make sense. This is a dense, rich, philosophical, theological term used in the ancient world. Now, John grabs onto this word. Now, for, sorry, one other thing that's important to know about the Logos. It was always this impersonal, out there, disconnected understanding of reality. I mean, it's ethereal, it's out there, kind of, you could kind of grab it in your head, but, but it wasn't something that kind of was grounded in your day-to-day -day life. But, but John does an interesting thing with this word. He begins to talk about the Logos, but then in verse 14, here's what he says. He says this, the word, the Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is a word that takes on human flesh. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates this verse in his, his translation of the message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And so this concept of the logos, this divine, this ethereal, this out there, for, for John, he sees this perfectly embodied in Jesus. And this logos, this divine reality, this, this the underwriting logic that holds all of creation, all the universe together, this is present in Jesus, and Jesus is present here with us. It's no wonder, or maybe it's a better way to say it, is that in, in Isaiah, when he talks about God being Emmanuel, God with us, that we see that in Jesus. About a decade ago, uh, we, my wife and I, we had some friends who were, um, they were just newlyweds and they just moved into Mississauga, uh, gotten a place in Mississauga. Um, the, 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 her, the, the guy in the situation, he was um, a uh, OPP officer and he had just started, he was a rookie with the police force. And they, newlyweds, didn't have a lot of money, just starting in their job and they moved into an apartment in Mississauga. And they, uh, their car got broken into one night and a whole bunch of different things got taken, stolen. 
And uh, the next day he was like, oh, well, I'll go down to the local police station uh, and I'll go in and just check and see if there's anything they can do. And so he went down to the police station and he went in and he went and started to talk to one of the officers there. And he just said, hey, uh, my car got broken into last night. Just wondering if anything you guys could do about it. Let me know, um, you know, any leads or stuff going on in that area, in the area or anyways, had a bunch of questions. And the guy goes, oh, what's your address? And so he began to say his address. And as he was saying it, the, the officer, he turned the screen around so that my, our friend could see it. And he goes, hey, I'm just going to stop you right there. This is, this is the area you live in. And these are all of the crimes that have been reported that happen in that area. It's just this long, massive list. Like just, you just scroll down and down and down. Just so many things that happened there. And I remember our friend, he, he said that he said, he said, hey, so is there anything I can do? Any advice? And the officer looked at him and just simply said, move. Uh, and, and that just strikes me as such a, a profound response to the brokenness that we see in our world, just the normative response, the response that we all automatically move towards. When we see suffering, when we see pain, when we see uh, all these things that are wrong in our world, when we see the, the corruption of sin and the way it just tears things apart and ruins things and destroys things. And so often we can easily just want to retreat from that, to run away from that, to hide from that find some place that's comfortable and secure and we don't have to deal with it. I mean, how many stories do we listen to about people who, who are growing up in, in difficult situations and the story essentially climaxes and ends with them moving up and out of that difficult situation? I mean, those are the stories we celebrate. It's the, it's the rags to riches story. It's the up and out. But, but that's not the gospel story. That's not the Jesus story. That's not the God of the Bible story. Because in that story, instead of seeing a God who's all about moving up and out, we see a God who moves in and is with us. A God who moves in to the neighborhood that's broken. To in the, the God who comes and takes on human flesh of a person who is ostracized and oppressed. And so for us as a community, that's how God loves. He is present to us and with us, even in the midst of the hurt and pain and suffering and in the scary, difficult situations that we face. And so for us as a church, we want to ask the question, how do we live that out? And when we see pain and suffering and poverty in our world, we don't want to run away from it. Our goal is not to be up and out, but rather to be like Jesus, to be, to be in and to be with. Finally, kind of the last point of this is to include the disenfranchised by stepping out and into life beyond myself or ourselves and beyond borders. I mean, this is why we've adopted sort of the name Church Without Walls. Because there are all these boundaries that we will put up between ourselves and the brokenness with our world. And yet, the love of God is always one that moves us into the places that are most broken, that are most difficult, that where there's pain happening. This is why the next door space is so important to us as a community uh, is because we realize that is there is a need there. There are people who are hurting, who are struggling, and we want to be present there with them. But, but it's not just about that. It's also about in our daily lives. I mean, how many of us, we know people who are going through difficult seasons of life uh, where you know if entering into conversations with them and it's going to go places that's like, oh, that got dark quick. 
and yet the calling for us is not to retreat from those conversations and, and, and to not be able to sit in that awkward tension that comes with the people who are hurting and suffering, but able to be transparent and honest and generous with who we are and to say, I'm willing to be with you even in the midst of this. And that doesn't mean I'm going to have to change the subject all the time. To, to truly do this and to live this, to, to, to tear down the walls that, that so often we use to keep ourselves safe or our families safe, it involves sacrifice and it involves risk. But, but the amazing thing that I've discovered is that when, when I'm serious about it in my life, when our family is serious about it, and, and I've discovered this that is true for others in the family of God as well, that when that when we are actually courageous and brave and we step out and we make ourselves present, even in the most difficult and challenging situations, that there's an incredible joy to be discovered there because that is so often where God is. I often wonder, we see just statistically, there's lots of different studies talking about how so many young people are, are leaving the church and one of the things that I, I, I wonder is that maybe the reason why so many are leaving the church is because we've, com we've communicated this message that, that following Jesus is about the up and the out. It's about move to the places that are safe and comfortable where you want to be. And the reality is, is they go there and they realize, wait, Jesus isn't there. And maybe the thing that we should be encouraging and challenging and pushing is, hey, you know, move towards the places that are most broken move into the relationships where there is hurt and pain and be present there with them and be an expression of God's healing love in the midst of that time and in those places. And here's the amazing thing. As we do that, we discover that God is present there too. This is why I was so thrilled when I first started at Forest View to find out that, that our youth was leading the charge and serving breakfast at the next door space. I just think that's an amazing thing. And I just want to celebrate our youth who are doing that to, to, to encourage you. And let's keep on exploring ways so we can continue to push and say, this is where we know we're supposed to be because this is where people are hurting. And I, my hope and my prayer is that our young people and, and really all people who are part of our church family would discover that as they do that, that they would discover that God was there too. There's a story I want to conclude with. Uh, I came across this about 10 years ago and it stuck with me ever since. And it's simply, this is a news story. Uh, and this is about a man named Dennis Avey. Uh, and uh, he is now dead. He died in 2015, but I think his story is amazing. It's simply this, the man who smuggled himself into Auschwitz. This is from a BBC report. Uh, when millions would have done anything to get out, one remarkable British soldier smuggled himself into Auschwitz to witness the horror so he could tell others the truth. Dennis Avey is a remarkable man by any measure. A courageous and determined soldier in World War II, he was captured by the Germans and imprisoned in a camp connected to the Germans' largest concentration camp, Auschwitz. But his action while in the camp, which he has never spoken about until now, are truly extraordinary. When millions would have done anything to get out, Mr. Avey repeatedly smuggled himself into the camp. Now 91 and living in Derbyshire, he says he wanted to witness what was going on inside and find out the truth about the gas chambers so he could tell others. He knows he took quite the chance. When you think about it in today's environment, it is ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous, he says. You wouldn't think anyone would think or do that. 
but that is how I was. I had red hair and a temperament to match. Nothing would stop me. He arranged to swap for one night at a time with a Jewish inmate he had come to trust. He exchanged his uniform for the filthy, strippy garments the man had to wear. For the Auschwitz inmate, it meant valuable food and rest in the British camp. While for Dennis, it was a chance to gather facts on the inside. He describes Auschwitz's hell on earth and says he would lie awake at night listening to the ramblings and screams of prisoners. It was pretty ghastly at night. You got this terrible stench, he said. He talked to Jewish prisoners, but says they rarely spoke of their previous life. Instead, they were focused on the, the terrible situations they were living in and the work that they were forced to do in the factories outside the camp. There were nearly three million human beings worked to death in different factories, says Mr. Avey. They knew at that rate they'd last about five months. Very seldom talk about their civil life. They only talked about the situation, the punishments that they were getting, the work that they were made to do. He says he would ask where people he'd met previously had gone and he would be told they'd gone up the chimney. It was so impersonal. Auschwitz was evil. Everything about it was wrong. He also witnessed the brutality meted out to the prisoners, saying people were daily, shot daily. He was determined to help, especially when he met Jewish prisoner Ernst Lobethal. He arranged for cigarettes, chocolate, and a letter from Susanna to be sent to him and smuggled them to his friend. Cigarettes were more valuable than gold in the camp, and he hoped he would be able to trade them for favors to ease his plight. And he was right. Mr. Lobethal traded two packs of player cigarettes in return for getting his shoes resold. It helped save his life when thousands perished or were murdered on the notorious death marches out of the camps in the winter of 1945. Sadly, while both Avi and Ernst survived, they never met. Ernst, later Ernie, died never even knowing the real name of the soldier who he says helped him survive Auschwitz. But before he died, Ernst recorded his survival story on video for the Shoah Foundation, which videos the testimonies of Holocaust survivors and witnesses. In it, he spoke of his friendship with a British soldier in Auschwitz, who he simply called Ginger. It was Dennis. He also recalled how the cigarettes, chocolate, and a letter from his sister in England were smuggled into him in the midst of war. It was like being given the Rockefeller Center, he said in the video. Mr. Avey traded places twice and slept overnight in Auschwitz. He tried a third time, but he was almost caught and the plan was aborted. He suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder when he came back from the war and has only recently been able to speak about what he did and what he saw. He admits some may find it hard to believe and acknowledges that it was foolhardy, but he simply says, that was how I was. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That is how our God is. And we are invited to do the same, to join him in the incredible work that he is doing in this world. We're going to take communion together, so I encourage you, if you have your bread, if you have your drink, get that out now. Uh, and as we share this meal together, we are reminded about what Christ has done, that he has entered into our brokenness, that he has entered into the sinful mess of the world that we have made. And yet he offers us his presence. He offers us, our, he offers us his healing and he offers us new creation and a new kind of life. So as we take and we eat, we reflect and remember the sacrifice of Jesus and we celebrate the life that is to come. Would you join me as we take the bread and the drink and eat and drink together?